0: Let's then all stand together in respect to the reading of God's word. Reading Jeremiah chapter 26. This is the word of God. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil ways, that I may may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord. If you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the houses in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate, without an inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves a sentence of death, because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, You will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants, for in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moroseph prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and said to all the people of Judah thus saith the Lord of hosts Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house of wooded and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah king of Judah and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? Well, we are about to bring, great, to bring great disaster upon ourselves. There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against this city and against this land in the words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim and all his warriors and all the officials heard his words, the king sought to put him to death, but when Uriah heard of it, he was afraid and fled and escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, Elnathan, El the son of Achbor, and others with him, and they took Uriah from Egypt and brought him to the King, to king Je- Jehoiakim, who struck him down with a sword and dumped his dead body into the burial place of the common people. But the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shepham, was with Jeremiah, so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. May the Lord give us understanding in his word today, this word that will be the text from our sermon this morning. If you, put, if you would please remain standing, let's bow ourselves for a moment of prayer. We thank you, Father. For allowing us to come here today. You've given safety to us, safety during the week, allowing us to meet in this place. You've given us a place to meet. And you've blessed and given to your people one who will present your word. Your Holy Spirit has ministered your word in preparation for this moment. And we pray, Lord, that now you prepare our hearts for this moment to hear your word, to discern your truth, and to live under the conviction of your word so that we might begin to obey you, surrender our hearts, and do what you've called us to do. Bless this service and the preaching of your word for Brian as he comes, moving his heart and in our hearts through your word today. Now will we pray, Lord, for those we have been praying for throughout the week, we think of Bonnie and her condition. We are thankful and grateful that she has improved over the week to where she could not speak and understand and respond to where she is happy to meet with family and rejoice. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue that process of healing as she continues to be in the hospital today, that you would just heal her Strengthen her and bless her. We pray for Bill, her husband, and thank you for his faithfulness to serve and minister to her and his presence here today. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue to sustain him, to help him, and to bless him. We pray for others, Lord. We think of Savannah, who's recovering from her surgery. We thank you for the outreach to her that was shown and those who prepared. Or uh, purchased meals for her, and sent them throughout this week. We thank you for that. We pray for others who are ailing in different ways, Lord. I think of, of, of uh, Lawrence and his back. I think of Willie and his back. We think of, of Charles and the uh, need that he had for, for medical attention previously, and he's getting those things checked out. We just pray that you continue oh, wow. to be with him and uphold him. We thank you for giving us safety through the snow this week and the ice and bringing us back here. Now, prepare our hearts to hear and receive your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The Lord carried us
1: through. And I thank God for this book. I thank God because Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, it says, to the nations. And he tried to reject his calling. God called him, he said, not me, God, I'm too young. But God, it says, put his words in Jeremiah. And he infused Jeremiah with this gift that Jeremiah initially didn't want. And he gave him a ministry, and he said, I gave you authority over kings and kingdoms, empires, to build and to destroy. And he chose Jeremiah specifically. And he gave him power. And it speaks to the power of God's word that rises beyond era or age because we're still reading Jeremiah 2,500 years later. We're still impacted. Empires, nations, kings, people are still being impacted by Jeremiah years after he's been gone. But then I also think about the importance of this word that God called somebody specifically to deliver it. So he had to be called, he had to be equipped, he had to be empowered to deliver this word because it's too important to be handled any other way. That's how valuable God sees his word. And so you get into this passage, and it's an odd little passage. We've been going through the book of Jeremiah on Thursday night Bible study and everybody is welcome to attend that if you want to get an in-depth and in-person and more interactive experience you know when we do a sermon that's not the time to ask questions but when you come to my house and we share a meal you get to fellowship over the word you get to interact with the word but we've been going through the book of Jeremiah and it's been a blessing but this one is on It says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim was an evil king. He was so evil that he wasn't even a first evil choice. You see, Josiah was a good king. All of his sons was bad. And the king before Josiah wasn't no good. So when Josiah tried to create a revolution of holiness, it didn't really take root. It impacted him, but it didn't really impact the people. So he changed the laws and he changed some things, but when the prophet advised him, say, don't go to battle against Egypt, and he went anyway, he got killed. He was still a good king, but he made a foolish decision that ended to his life being ended. And after he lost his life, everybody knew that he had chosen his second son to be king. And his second son reigned a long three months. <laughs> because after Egypt beat Josiah, they came to Jerusalem and they were like, oh, no, no. The same king who went against us, his son can't be king. We got to take him down too. So they took him prisoner and took him back to Egypt. And now The oldest is king. Now, you got to ask yourself, why wouldn't they choose the oldest in the first place? It's because there was something wrong with Jehoiakim. Something was wrong with this man. And so Jehoiakim started his reign being established by Egypt. Egypt said, this is our guy. He's going to be the king. And he promptly taxed his people to death. But people were hopeful, right? Because, hey, they had just lost a great king, and they had just lost another king three months later. And so they were in this era where they just kept losing, and they were hoping that fortunes would change. And I'm sure he had a slogan, hope and change. He came up there, right? He was speaking for the people. And then the prophet came. the Lord whispered in Jeremiah's ear. He said, thus says the Lord. Stand in the court of the Lord's house. Speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I am sent to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. He said, stand in the court of the temple. That's a bold approach. He said, get where the people are. Get in their face. He says, don't hold back. And when he's saying don't hold back, he's talking about the completeness of his word, but he's also talking about the fear that we have when we deliver God's word, when we want to moderate God's word. We don't want to call homosexuality an abomination because that's more fearful, that's more offensive than saying it's just a sin. But what does the Bible say? We try to moderate God's word, but God talked to Jeremiah. He said, don't you dare moderate this. Mm -mm. He says, it could be that they might turn a hope for repentance. Here's the truth of the matter. If you want to see people saved, it's going to be through tough truth. They have to understand that the judgment is already in progress. You know, it reminds me back in the day, you used to get a video. You used to download it. And it was already on your computer. It was just buffering. (laughs) Judgment is buffering. It's there. It's ready to play. It's just buffering. And you have to take it seriously. Then he says, I want you to give this content. Thus says the Lord. That's authoritative. And that's absolute. There's no room for negotiation. This is what God has said. I want you to listen. And listening means three things in this passage. Number one, it means walk in my word. You got to follow the Bible. Too many people don't even crack open their Bible. But it is incumbent on you not only to read your bible to but to know the bible but then also to follow the bible. This word is important. But then he takes it a second step because there's lots of people who think they can study their bible and stay at home. He says, listen to my prophets. Listen to my preachers. Listening requires submission. And that's where people start turning up their nose. You mean I got to listen to this man? You know, and sometimes I I, want to moderate God's word, but what I should say is, yes. God wants you to listen to that man. And yes, he's no better than you. You're proving your faith to God by listening to somebody that you know is not better than you. He don't have to prove his superiority over you. He don't have to have an absolute knowledge of all facts and truth and revelations. Because the sad thing is, even when he do that, you still ain't going to listen. You need to decide yourself whether you're going to obey God for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, for hard times or for good times. Are you going to submit to the leadership of God? But then the third thing he says, he can skip over this part, but he says, though you have not listened. You got to admit that you've not been doing this. There's too many people when I come to them and I say, hey, you need to follow the Lord. Yeah, I've been doing, no, you ain't. Because I don't even see you here. Yeah, yeah, I've been reading the Bible. When's the last time you read it? Three weeks ago? No, you haven't. You must confess. The Bible says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Listening is those three things. Walking in the word, listening to his leaders, and confessing that you've been wrong. But he says, otherwise, I'm going to make this temple like Shiloh and this city like a curse. Now let's talk a little bit about Shiloh because that reference is odd to us. But it's a reason it's an odd reference. You know, the last time I did a sermon, I believe it was on Samuel. And Samuel ministered at Shiloh. The Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh. And there are a few mentions of Shiloh, and then all of a sudden you don't hear nothing about Shiloh. In fact, people don't even know where Shiloh is to this day. And you know why they don't know? Because it will destroy it so bad, no remembrance of it is left. And so he says, you remember when I used to have my Ark of the Covenant at Shiloh? Yeah, remember the Shiloh. What happened to Shiloh? It's not on the map. There's no temple there anymore. The Ark of the Covenant is not there anymore. There are no priests there. There are no prophets there. There's nothing there. That's going to happen at this temple. And this city is going to be a curse. And we could say this about these first six verses, that God required the prophet to speak his word boldly, without moderating, with authority, so that they might know that God does not play with sin. The message is simple. Repent or perish. Perish. And the thing that's unique about this message is it's not Jeremiah's message. It's God's message. You see, the God references himself by Lord five times. And he says the pronoun I seven times. So that people might know this is God speaking. And here's the odd thing. Jeremiah is told to talk to people who had come to worship. Because even though they were coming to church, they had not submitted to Jesus as Lord. Playing church. So then we get to the next section, verse 7 through 9. The priests and prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, they all said amen. Is that what we read? (laughs) That's not what we read, right? I wish it could end there, but it didn't. But I want to tell you a miracle. And the miracle is that everyone heard and that Jeremiah finished his words. We can see by the reaction to come that people didn't like what he said. But it's a miracle that when God empowers his word, he empowered it to be completed. A miracle that Jeremiah was able to finish his words because everything is going as God intended to go. And then I'll notice that we got the PPP, the priests, the prophets, the people all together listen and all together lay hands. And we can paraphrase what they say is this how dare you! How dare you! Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, this house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant"? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, what they say before that? You shall die. We're going to kill you. It's interesting because they had gathered to kill Jeremiah, but it was God's purpose that they gathered. Because it was God's purpose that they gathered to hear the word. Because Jeremiah's personal safety was less important than God delivering his word. Now, they had to clean up their act pretty quick because you could see in verse 7 through 9 they wanted to kill Jeremiah. But then the police came. So then it says when the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up to the king's house I mean, to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and prophet said, said to the officials and to all the people, this man deserves a sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Right? First, they were just going to beat him randomly and kill him. But then when the police came, they said, well, well this guy needs to be prosecuted. He prophesied against this city. And you heard them. That's the evidence. We all heard them. That's the evidence against them. It's amazing because when you look at this section, you see the guilty charge the innocent. In their minds, this had to be personal. We as people of God had to be careful. We had to be careful because when we speak the truth to people, they don't view it as coming from God. They view it as something you want to happen to them. And so, when they heard Jeremiah say this, they're all Jews. That would be like me saying, I'm a Packer fan, I hope Lambeau Field blow up. How you gonna say that, Brian? That's crazy. That would be like me, a proud patriot of the United States, saying, I hope the Capitol blow up. I think the Secret Service would be following me if I said that. They don't view this as him saying God is saying it. They view that as his intention against it. In their minds, they valued the temple in the city and thought it validated their insincerity. The temple's still standing So God must be okay with what we're doing. People do this every day. Lightning didn't strike me down, so nobody cares that I lied. In their minds, judgment was impossible. In fact, it was something that happens to other people. Kind of reminds me of the guys who run the red lights. Other people die, but not them. It reminds me of the guys who drink and drive. Other people get pulled over, but not them. It's never you until it's you. In their minds, Jeremiah was challenging their pride, they had titles. Somebody in there was chief priest. Somebody in there called himself apostle brother so-and-so of the tabernacle in Samaria. Somebody was getting a salary. How dare you come after me? I got a title and an education and five degrees. And you come in here with your dusty robes on saying, God sent you. How dare you? How dare you? But then Jeremiah speaks. Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people saying, The Lord sent me. This is not personal, this is divine. This is not hate. This is holy. And you're right, he says. He sent me against this house and against this city because God is targeting. Yes. People say, Are you preaching at me? Yes. Brother, was you talking about me up there? Yes. Yeah. It's you. It's you. God is targeting you because he wants you to repent. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Because I want you to see your God with joy and not with terror. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Because I want to see you as part of this church. I want to see you live this real. He says, now, right? Jeremiah's got this sense of urgency. He says, now mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God. I'm not stopping what I'm saying. This is just going to be sermon number two. Same topic, same subject. If you obey God, he won't destroy you. But here's the part that I don't like. But as for me, behold, I'm in your hands. Jesus said, Get unto Caesar what is Caesar, give unto God what is God. And I think we like that to some degree, but I think we don't fully understand what it means. And what that means is this you're in God's hands but sometimes God will put you in man's hands. When you're on the job, you're in your boss's hands. That don't necessarily mean you need to be afraid of him, but yeah, he could fire you for being a Christian if he so wants to. And you may have to take that as your cost. Jeremiah is saying, God sent me here, but he didn't promise to protect me. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not covered in my life. In fact, my life is just for the message anyway. I was called, and here's the thing, even if you kill me, I'm just going to explain how that's going to act against your soul when you meet God. My life is part of my mission. And my mission is my message. And my message comes from God. And if I die, I die. But I'm going to deliver this word. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of saying that's exactly what God told me to say. And I don't care about my life. But you need to repent. And if you kill me, that's just going to make God even more angry against this city more angry than he already is. But then in the next section, good men rise up. The officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve a sense of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Hey, wait a second. Are we fighting with God here, people? They say and then other men rise up. It says elders, but I believe when they say elders, not, they're not just talking about leaders. They're talking about older people. Why did I know they're talking about older people? Because they recognize Michael of Morishev. Now, who is Michael of Morishev? Why, I believe he wrote a book of the Bible entitled Micah. In fact, if you look at Micah, chapter 1, verse 1, he introduces himself as from more and he says, they say, hey, uh, he said this Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah put him to death? No, he didn't do that. He repented and God relented. But if you look at that chapter, Micah 3, oh, it's intense. This ain't a chapter to play with. In fact, when they referenced that chapter, I believe that was a dagger in the heart. And I'm going to read this chapter because you will see who is targeted. It says, and I said, this is Micah, Hear you heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, break their bones in pieces, chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron, then they will cry to the Lord. But he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on your prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice, who make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity, its heads gets judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Who is he aiming it at? Oh, he aiming it at the PPP. The prophets, the priests, the people. In fact, it's the religious leaders who are the worst here. They remembered that Micah had prophesied and said similar things. Did he die? He didn't die because they had a better king. There will always be a remnant. That God has reserved who heard the word and remember the prophets and they knew that wickedness destroys those who practice it because what did they say in this chapter? We are about to bring great disaster on ourselves we are killing ourselves every time I walk in a black community that's what I say people talk about racism stop talking about the white man the white man ain't robbing my car The white man is not painting graffiti on our buildings. The white man is not making single mothers and single parents. The white man is not not going to school. The white man is not selling drugs. The white man is not throwing his garbage on the corner. Because the white man ain't there. We are killing ourselves. And then we want to make it a style to look like we are felons. We walk down the streets like we're guilty. But we somehow think we're going to have something to say about the police. And we war with the police when we need the police more than any other community. And we sit there and talk about Black Lives Matter. when we don't act like Black Lives Matter. Every time you have sex with all these different people, you ain't acting like Black Lives Matter. When you don't pay your child support, you don't act like Black Lives Matter. When you throw a man in jail for not paying child support that you falsely accuse him of having to pay, you are not acting like Black Lives Matter. When you start trouble, then call the police, then be mad at the police, you ain't acting like Black Lives Matter. When somebody kills somebody else and you trying to get them off for their sentence, you ain't acting like that Black Lives Matter. Don't tell me about Black Lives Matter, cause we killing ourselves. And it's not just black people. But I live here and I see it every day. It bothers me that a person that looks like myself might run a red light and kill a whole family and then get up and just be talking on a cell phone talking about, well, he'll be out the next day. And be right. we killing ourselves as a community we are committing cultural suicide because we have not turned to the Lord our God we says used to have a community that was built on the church all our political leaders used to come from the church and they weren't all good people but they still at least had to give respect to the church and now we got people showing up to the church like it's a club. Maybe because they came to the church from the club. But we're killing ourselves. Evil destroys those who practice it. And even though these men stood up, Jeremiah wants us to know something more because the passage would be nice if it ended like that, but it's not so nice because this is real. He said, there was another man. Oh, Jeremiah, don't tell him that story. No, I got to tell him, man. He says, I got to tell him. There was another man. He prophesied in words, just like me. And the king tried to kill him. He got afraid. Now, we could say to ourselves, man, he was afraid. Why he run away? Man, that showed a lack of faith. Stop. Stop. We got people who didn't come to church because of COVID. How are you going to be mad at a man who got a out on him from the king? Stop. There's even sections of scripture in this very book where Jeremiah runs hiding. Stop. I'm not saying he's right to be afraid. But we all feel fear. That was not the reason that he died. The reason that he died is because the king was so evil. And like I said, something wrong with Jehoiakim. Something wrong with this man. It says this is at the beginning of his reign. That mean, he ain't even been there that long. He already done killed a prophet. And Jeremiah's trying to tell us that this is a credible threat. Because if these people killed in the past, they might kill again. He's saying these are not like rappers. Many of which get up there on their CDs and talk about they killed somebody. And you know, they went to the suburbs for high school stop. These are some drill rappers. Who really done killed some people and <laughs> rapped about it right these dudes for real they don't killed people before and they would kill again so he said this is not play play this is for real and here's the other thing that Jeremiah is trying to teach us is this there were some people who died because of this word But then, the last section is only one verse. But the hand of Ahiakim, the son of Shechem, was with Jeremiah so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. One brave man took a stand to protect the prophet. One brave man stood up, and he made the difference. But the main point is still repent or perish. You see, Jeremiah layered this book it's not in chronological order it doesn't start at the beginning and end at the end there is a beginning and end but if you look in the middle stuff is out of order and you might ask yourself why is it out of order did he just put it together randomly and I always will say this God never puts anything out of order there's a reason that he jumps around it's a reason why, before this chapter, he talked about them having 70 years of captivity. In the next chapter, the king that we learned about in chapter 26 is already dead and gone. It's a reason why he insults the priests and the prophets in chapter 26. and chapter 28, he shows one of them dying when they defy him. He's showing simply by the way he layers even this book that you can't escape God. His word always triumphs in the end, so repent or perish, obey his word. This is not a history lesson. This is not about the deliverance of the prophet. This is about how serious God takes his word. He wants us to be willing to die to share his word. It's a warning to those who practice religion without believing in Jesus. Jesus. It's a warning to those who think they can obey the word without submitting to his prophets. It's a warning to those who accept the truth without accepting authority. It's a warning to those who presume that God has promised something he didn't promise. Manifesting, as it says. Jeremiah didn't manifest God's protection. It just so happened that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But what was wrong with Uriah? Nothing. Just the same in the New Testament. Two apostles was in jail. Brother James. Brother Peter. Brother James died. Brother Peter was rescued by the angels. Brother Peter is not better than Brother James. God had a purpose. in James' life. And he died. And that's tough for us. Because we all wish we could be Peter. Until we realize that Peter's wife was crucified upside down. Until we literalize that Peter was later crucified too. But in that moment, we all wish we could be Peter. And here's the thing. Some of us is going to be James. When you look at this chapter... Even a chapter is layered in an interesting way. It starts off with basically the, fir- the first six verses saying, repent or die. And their response to that is, no, you die. A violent reaction to the word. It explains the heart of the people. They didn't want to stomach a direct word from God. I'm glad our culture is not like that, right? In verse 16 through 19, it says, this man doesn't deserve to die. But, verse 20, another man did die. It talks about the contradictory nature of their society. They were in an era between Josiah and the end. The kingdom is soon to end. And you see contradictions arise. Why do you see contradictions arise? Because chaos occurs at the point of death. Kind of reminds me of some of our older folks who died in this church. Before they die, God blesses some of them with just these moments where they are so clear. And then so quickly after they are taken from us. It's God's grace because they get allowed to say goodbye. I remember they told me about my grandfather, my grandfather Kenner, how he was just sitting there, and he was just singing songs. Now, if you know my grandfather Kenner, he ain't much of a singer. <laughs> but he loved the Lord. You can't tell me he don't love the Lord. And grandfather, grandfather Kenner, he had once called me over because he needed my help. He had slipped and fell. But after I'd helped him up, all he wanted to talk about was how I should behave in the church and be an elder. That's all he wanted to talk about is teach how to treat God's people. That's all he wanted. His life to him was less important than the church carrying on because the church will carry on whether we hear here or not. think about my grandfather hope before the moments of death they said he told my grandma he said you know I'm going to die I love you very much he knew he knew but we have a society that is dying there are moments of truth and there are also moments of oppression they are inconsistent. Churches will sometimes be closed for various reasons. And other times, people are allowed to preach. Why do we live in this contradictory state? It is because we have a culture that is killing itself. But then there's also another layer of this if you look at the beginning of in the ends and you start to look at the passage in that way, you start to see another thing. The first section and the last section, so though they may not live, they live. The second section and the second last section shows that evil is always violent, even if it's silent. They wanted to kill Jeremiah, they had killed before. The sections in the middle of that slice is the conflict between good and evil. They say he deserves to die. The officials say he don't deserve to die. But there will always be this battle. And the battle was caused by bold preaching. And here's the thing. I'm going to cause conflicts for you. If I preach as God wants me to, I will create battles that you can't escape from. But that's also God's will. But then the middle of the whole section is this. That the Lord sent his prophets in the midst of a rebellious people to give his word. And his word was repent or perish. Now the application is simple. The word will cause others to doubt, guilt, And have uncertainty, and they will blame you for that. But speak anyway, and don't hold back, because some of them might listen. Remember that there will always be a remnant that God secures for himself, no matter how evil society will be. What did Jesus say? The gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. An application that righteous people, when we stand up, the innocent prosper. If he had not stood up for Jeremiah, we wouldn't have got Jeremiah chapter 27. And then God sends his word. But here's the thing. God sent his prophet to deliver a message of repentance to a rebellious people. And they see that as a personal attack and a threat on their life. And they threaten his life. But the prophet prioritized delivering this word over protecting his life because the word he delivered is the gospel. And the gospel is that God is angry and will judge all sin. But when we repent, confess, and humble ourselves and trust in Jesus' righteousness alone, we will be saved. And God spared the prophet. But he didn't spare his son. He sent his son to a rebellious people. And when they tried to kill him, he delivered himself because he prioritized our redemption over his life. He is the word. He is the communication of God. He is the realization of everything that God wanted to communicate to men. And you see, we got three problems as men. We got a debt problem, we got a nature problem, and we got a riches problem. We're in debt to God because we've all sinned. And God's standard is absolute perfection. We got a nature problem in that we want to keep sinning. And we got a riches problem in that we can't afford to get into heaven. But see, Jesus, when he died, he pays our debt. When we receive Him, we receive the Holy Spirit and He changes our nature. And when we receive Him, we receive immeasurable riches whereby we might be able to afford a place in the heavenly city. So repent or perish. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's just a question of is it going to be willing? or unwilling the scripture says kiss the son lest he be angry submit to the Lord today while it's still day turn to the Lord today while you still have a chance before sin hardens your heart to the point that you don't even want to return so just like Jeremiah I say repent or perish This is not a personal attack against you. I don't, some of y'all in here, I don't even know how you live. But God knows. And if you feel that this is aimed at you, it is. But it's God who aimed it. Because he cares about you. He wants to see you living for real. So turn from your wicked way. Confess your sins. Not just to God, but also to your brothers and sisters. Repent and turn from your wicked ways. Believe in Jesus. Lift up the lifted up one. Turn and be healed and be saved. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Jeremiah, Lord. The message of repent or perish. We pray that you will bless us, Lord, as we sing one final song, Lord about your word we thank you lord that you sent your word that you view your word so important that it was okay to threaten the life of the prophet because your word was too important to go without being said your word was so important that you sent your son to die your word was so important so that we might believe in and be saved and in your name we pray amen